You know, there's so many things in this world that you can really invest in, things you can devote a lot of time and energy to, um, things that will entertain you, give your life meaning, and take up a lot of time, but, but that ultimately don't make much difference in the whole grand scheme of human history. Um, there's a lot of things you could put on this list. This first one will probably get me booed. I don't know. But sports is one of those. Yeah, I know. I know. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We'll get there. I am not anti-sports. Don't hear me that. Uh, don't hear me saying that. Um, because I think uh, most of us have at some point been really invested in a team. Like when the Cubs were winning that World Series, I mean, everybody was on, was on Team Cubs for the most part. Unless you're like a diehard Cubs hater, most everybody was like, all right, we'll let them have it, you know, and getting pretty invested. And some people get way more into sports than others. Um, some of you, you know, like heights and weights. You know the career history, who started in what year, what different teams they've played for. Um, you can even get a little bit more in depth and know some of their personal history, who's married, who's not. Um, some of you probably have known a player's birthday at some point, which is really funny for the people that like tend to forget their spouse's birthday, but they know like some of their favorite players' birthdays. Just uh, that's just a fun little you know, thing about the human race. Um, and you can get so involved in, like, rooting for a team, like, do you feel part of the team? And their wins are your wins, and their losses are your losses. And you just, like, feel it, and it, and it gives you an excitement. It gives you kind of a sense of meaning and, and camaraderie with other people that, like, will carry you through a day. Um, and then we've invented fantasy sports leagues where you can now, like, take your own money and sprinkle it into the equation so that their wins and losses really cost you. And I think that's also very funny and adds another a layer of intensity to it. Um, some people, it's not sports that they get involved with, but like uh, pop culture and celebrities. There's a lot of people that really get in on that kind of stuff. Um, there's a reason why most famous people are hounded constantly by paparazzi. Because there's enough people who want to know what's going on in their lives. We want to know what they're wearing, where they went, where they get their coffee, what's their coffee order. Uh, we want to know, uh, people want to know what kind of dogs they have, how many dogs they have, what's their dog's name, are they a good pet owner or not. We want to know about drama in their marriages. Um, and you can visit any number of like thousands, literally thousands of websites to learn, you know, who wore what to what event, who Looked like they gained weight or lost weight at the beach last weekend. Um, you can see whether or not they do the normal human stuff, like picking up their laundry from the dry cleaner or who dropped their coffee on the sidewalk. Like, and, and people will get into that, invest in that, and like, feel like they know these people through reality shows, through websites, through whatever. And then there's other people, they find meaning in something like their job. They, they, get, doing a good job at work, you know, getting a promotion or contributing something meaningful to the team at work. That, they go home and they carry that as the wins and losses with their company. Uh, other people pour their entire lives into pets. And again, not anti-pet by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but we raise them and we place our emotional stability into these cute, furry little creatures as if they are not going to die and leave us emotionally crippled in like seven years. And again, I... Uh, I don't, I'm not making fun of anybody because I'm the worst at this. Ask my wife. One of the main reasons we do not have a pet at the moment is because nobody gets more invested into that pet than me. Uh, my kids got a fish uh, near in the earlier parts of this year, and they were so excited about this fish. I mean, they wanted this fish. They paid for this fish with their own money. They were eager to care for this fish for about two months. 
And then they, they were like, is she dead yet? You know, can, she, can we flush her? I'm like, you can't flush a live fish. I won't let you. And, you know, I was the one taking care of a lot of it. Abby was even like, I don't care about this fish. I was the one who was like, still like, well, it's alive. And it's, you know, it's here. You know, we got to take care of it. And then she got a little sick. And I would just like, I'd lay at night being worried about this dumb little fish. And I don't know if you know this, but if you've ever had a fish, fish are the easiest killed pets that you can ever get. Like, they come and they go. In fact, the fish that lived was the third fish we had. We actually had two fish, and they both died pretty quick. But this third one was hanging on, and I got a little attached. And I had to remind myself, as she got sick and as she died, and as I flushed her down the toilet, I was like, Anthony, it is just a fish. Okay? So, but we get wrapped up in these animals, right? And when I had a, I had a dog um, before James was born, a little dog named Buster, and I loved that dog, and he didn't like anybody. He was just a grumpy old man of a dog. We got him when he was like, you know, towards the end of his life. And so he was just like, I mean, he just walked around just like with a permanent scowl on his face. Look at, he didn't like anybody, he, but he liked me, and I thought that was pretty special. But whatever it is, you know, we can pour our lives into these things. And, and they can be fun and they can be rewarding. Um, sometimes, depending on what it is, you can gain some notoriety through these things and some praise from people. But despite it all, they ultimately, in the grand scheme of your life, do not make much difference. And in the grand scheme of human history, they make almost no difference. And sometimes the things that we get so invested in, we give all of our extra time and energy to, they don't even matter beyond the season of life that we're in. Um, and so, like, I think, like, how does knowing which Kardashian is currently married to which sports star and or rapper, how does that make any difference in anybody's life? It doesn't. It doesn't. Um, your fantasy team, their performance from eight years ago, how is that impacting your life today? It isn't. I don't care if you won the league. You weren't in that rich of a league that that, like, prize, like, changed your life. Like, you didn't go out and buy a Ferrari because you won that year's fantasy league. Um, again, I absolutely love my dog Buster, but he, again, he was a sickly little grumpy old man, but he was my sickly grumpy old man, and he died about a month after, or month before James was born, and I gotta tell you, it didn't take too long before I was like, I'm glad I don't have a sickly little dog and a newborn at the same time. Too much poop to clean up, and I, I, it's just too much. Um, and so we look at these things, and we, we, we have this desire to give ourselves to things, because we have a built-in innate desire as humans to feel that our lives have meaning, to know that the work that we do day in and day out, the things that we contribute to, we want to know that those matter make a difference in the lives of others in this world. And, you know, we, we want that, and I think that innate desire that's built in us is the reason why we will give it to anything. Like, we will, we will look to anything to provide and to scratch that, that deep itch in our soul to know that something matters. And we'll give it all to the, a dog and saying, I'm going to give this dog the best life possible, and I'm going to make a difference in the life of this animal. Or I'm going to follow the sports team, you know, whether they do good through thick and thin. And, and I'm with them no matter what. We're not fair weather fans. We're all in no matter what. That, I'm, in, I'm entrenched in the legacy of this team. And we want to know that we're a part of something significant, something that will outlast us. And these things might feel huge at the time. But I promise you, in 200 years, there will be zero mention of you being a Bears fan in any history books. That's just the way that it is. I don't care. I mean, poor Bears, man. That's a, that's almost as bad as being a Cub fan. I mean, in terms of like how often you're taking punches for, you know, rooting for a team that's not doing great. 
tell me I'm wrong. Look at the Cubs record. They're, it's fun to be a Cubs fan, but tell I'm not wrong. Um, but this real desire that we have to invest in something that matters, to invest in something that's going to stretch beyond our life, that, that is a real desire because there is something real that can meet that need. And the only way to truly satisfy that need is when we live our lives in service to our amazing God. Because only then do we live a life that can make an eternal difference far beyond our lives. Whether people are writing about it or not, we will make a difference in this one small moment in the story of the people of Jesus. Now, last week we started this new teaching series called Life on Mission, where we are looking at um, being a part of the mission of Jesus with other believers in the local church, where we live for Jesus together as a community of faith, as a church family. And because not only did Jesus come into the world and die on a cross so that we could have forgiveness for our sins, but he came to redeem us back into a with God so that we could live forever with him. And then he also returned to the heavenly realm and he commanded his followers saying, all that I've done, I want you to take this message to the end of the world. I want you to carry this message, this story, be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So what that means is the church isn't just a place where we can have our fears about what's going to happen when we die calmed and done away with because we can, whew, have eternity set. The church isn't just a place where we can be encouraged and made to feel good so that when you walk out of the doors here in a little bit, you go, oh, I feel so good and uplifted by spending time in church and it was fun and I talked to people and I feel so encouraged. It's more than that. The church isn't a place to have your preferences met. It's not just a place to have your anxieties comforted. The church is where followers of Jesus come together to do the work of Jesus. We have a mission to do, and it's where we join in the work and mission of Jesus until he returns. We have something to contribute, something meaningful, something lasting. We are a, um, in a grand relay race of history where one generation of Christians passes the baton of faith and the work of Jesus to the next generation. And we do the work of Jesus, so we have people to pass the baton to. And so let's talk about what the mission of Jesus is. There are a lot of ways you can say it. Uh, the New Testament is all about the work and mission of Jesus. Um, but for consistency's sake, we have kind of worded a specific way just for our church family. Um, we've done that, again, for consistency's sake, um, so that it's memorable for us, so that we can, because, you know, trying to condense the whole New Testament down is difficult, and remembering that is hard, so we to do something that is a little bit memorable, and we put it in a way that helps us to kind of, it serves as like a quick little test so that we know if we're actually doing the work of Jesus. So here's the way we talk about the work of Jesus at Loami Christian Church. We say that Loami Christian Church exists to connect people to Jesus, grow them in Jesus, and impact the world for Jesus. We want to connect people to Jesus in a saving relationship with him so that they move off the path of destruction and onto the path of life and salvation forever. We want people to grow in Jesus, meaning that day by day we become more like him, we love like him, um, the, the more unpleasant, undesirable emotions that we tend to feel can fade away, the anxieties and the, that tend to cripple us can fade away as we keep our eyes on him and become more like him. And we want people to make a difference because believe it or not, Jesus put you here to do something, to help other people, to pour your life out and to be a servant as he was a servant. And some people like to say, oh, there's nothing I can do. But raise your hand if you're breathing, right? 
you're alive, so you got something to do. Like, that's how it is. And when, when God's done with you, you'll know it because you're done. And that's how, the, when you see Jesus, you go, oh, I guess I was done there. Like, that's kind of how this works. If you're still here, you still have work to do. Now, this isn't in Scripture. This is just our way we've worded it. The mission of Loyami Christian Church has been worded before differently, but it was basically saying the same thing. This is just our way that we've tried to convince, or condense, excuse me, the teaching of the New Testament into something that is memorable for us. Um, other churches say the same thing in different ways. Uh, for instance, at Berlin Christian Church, they say that they exist to make more and better followers of Jesus. Same thing, different wording. But connecting, growing, and impacting is our way to talk about it. And you'll see that reflected in how we talk here about different aspects of ministry. Uh, you'll see it in the big uh, giant circle graphic in the foyer as we talk about how we can follow Jesus as individuals. And each part of this is equally important. We can't focus one and neglect the other two or focus on two and neglect one of them. They are all equally important aspects of the work of Jesus. We don't want to make Christians who never grow up. We don't want to make Christians who never grow in maturity and, and thrive to the point where they can do ministry. We want, we want everyone to grow into the work of Jesus to become more than we could ever be on our own. And so some of that work, though, is going to be external work, you know, where we go out and we do things for other people, trying to make things better around us. Some of the work of Jesus is internal work, where we surrender what we want to do and say, Spirit, make me who I need to be. Get rid of those selfish desires. Clean me out. Show my sin to the, bring my sin to the light so I can be made more like Jesus. So we'll do some work out here. We'll do some work in here. But it's all a part of this grand journey that Jesus is taking us on as a church family. And so starting today in the next two weeks, we're going to talk about each one of those three elements, connecting, growing, and impacting. And so today we're going to talk about connecting. What does it mean to connect people to Jesus? Well, that means that a portion of our work has got to focus on helping people who aren't Christians hear about the Lord Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, and put their faith in him and have their lives joined to him through baptism. That's what we have to be doing that. If we're not helping people who are far from God come close to God, then we've dropped the ball. Like, the other two don't even matter because we've, we've, like, the plane crashed on the runway before we even got taken off, in a sense. And so if we are not helping people find salvation in the life of Jesus, we've ceased to be a church. We're a group. We're a country club. We're a, a, a fan gathering. I don't know what you would call us, but we're not a church if we're not helping other people who are far from God come close and know Jesus. Now, why is it so important that we put all of our emphasis for other people on Jesus? Why is it important that we want other people who believe different things than what we believe come to see that Jesus is and should be the center of their lives. Well, Jesus said it a bunch of times. He explained it a lot of different ways. Uh, one of them, in John 14, verse 16, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the path to salvation. I am the way to eternity. I am the source of life that can help you walk away from the path of death. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Luke 19, verse 10, he said this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He came on a rescue mission for the human race. And we are a part of that. He came to bring us back in, to redeem us back into, away from our sin and into his saving grace. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 14, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and easy the way that leads to destruction 
and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So Jesus makes it clear that he is the only one who can save the human race from our sinfulness, from our brokenness. He's the only one that can offer us forgiveness and healing and reconciliation from the mistakes of our past. He's the only one that can make us right with God the Father. And everything else in this world, everything else you want to give your life to besides Jesus is a temporary thing. Everything else will fall away. Everything else will prove useless. Everything that you give your life to except for Jesus falls away. But when we give our lives to Jesus, we become eternally preserved in his family. And notice that Jesus in John 14 says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Not a way, not one source of life. But the only one. And then he goes on to like really hammer down and says, no one comes to the Father except through me. He says he is the one path to God. Jesus calls um, his way the narrow road. The narrow road, that there's a wide road, and it's got all the options on it, all the things you can give your life to that will distract you away from him. But he says, over here is a narrow road. It's the one road that leads to eternal meaning, eternal satisfaction, eternal life. Everything else is just a distraction that, again, leads to destruction. And, and then he says, sadly, though, most people are on the wrong road. That means if you are a Christian, you should count yourself fortunate, lucky, blessed, honored that through a series of events and from the work of other people in a church that you found the message of Jesus and that you put your faith in him and that he's brought you into this very slim road that only a few find. But he says, okay, since there's a wide road out there and there's a lot of people on it, he's like, somebody needs to be out there shouting, not that road over here. Somebody needs to tell people, that road leads to death and life. I know it's fun, but that's not the way you should go. Over here is the road that leads to true life. That's a road of empty promises. This is a road of promises fulfilled. And who's going to do that if not for the church? Who's going to do that if not for the followers of Jesus? Schools aren't going to do it. Government's not going to do it. Your workplace isn't going to do it unless you work for a church or a Christian-based nonprofit, which is even, that's a narrower road than the narrow road. Those people. No one is better suited to lead people to that narrow road, though, the road that leads to life, than those who are already on the road. And so the reason why we need to devote so much time and energy into helping people connect to Jesus is because most people are missing out on life and they're walking a road that leads to destruction and Jesus doesn't want it to be that because they're people that he loves, people he created, people he came to die for so that he could spend eternity with them. But if they don't hear about him and don't know about him, then that's a tragedy that could be prevented. In Matthew 28, this is Matthew's um, account of the last thing Jesus said before he rose uh, back into heaven. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he tells his followers, you got work to do. There's a whole world of people out there who needs to know about me. And he says that actually this act of 
sharing the, the gospel, of this act of us being disciples that make other disciples, he says that should just be a natural byproduct of life with Jesus. Because uh, in verse 19 it says, go therefore, I think a better way to translate that would be, therefore, as you are going, as you go through life. As you live and go to the grocery store, as you're, you know, taking your kids to school, as you're meeting with friends, as you do life, you just make disciples as you go. You naturally tell people about how good Jesus is. You naturally tell people about the difference he's made in your life. You naturally tell people that, man, the, the ways of the world, the many things you could give your life to are fun and good and not even evil necessarily, but they're temporary and there's more out there than those things. And so as we go through life, we are naturally making disciples. That's the way it's supposed to be for Christians. Um, that we're that making, helping lead people to Jesus is a natural byproduct of following him. Now, lots of parts of life have these natural byproducts that we talk about. Meaning these things that just naturally show up because of what you're doing in the season of life that you're in. Um, for instance, um, dirty diapers are a natural byproduct of having a baby. So much so that when there's not enough dirty diapers, you start getting worried about it. Like, how weird is that? As a parent, you're like, I just want this to be a dirty diaper when I take this diaper off. Like, that's how you know you're a parent when you've made that switch of like, I hope there's this, this diaper is just a wreck when I open it. Like, that's a weird place to be the first time. That's when you realize you've left the years of being cool behind and you've entered into something else. Um, bad choices, stitches, and scars are the natural byproduct of childhood. Uh, our pediatrician, when we took our kids in, she says, if your kids don't have bruises on their legs, they're not living a life as a kid. She's like, that's just the way that they are. They ru they're rough, they're tumble, they flip and fall, and they get bruised along the way. It's a natural part of it. Heartache and zits is the natural byproduct of the teen years. Not some great byproducts. Aches, pains, gray hair, no hair, and even unwanted hair are the natural byproducts of adulthood. What a fun, boy, it's a hoot. It gets better as it goes, doesn't it, folks? Well, in the same way that those things are just unavoidable with the season of life that you're in, being a Christian should have these unavoidable hallmarks of being a Christian, of following Jesus should just naturally lead to certain things, in that the love of Jesus should just kind of leach out of us so that we can't help but talk about him, we can't help but start conversations about him with people, where we are just making disciples as we go. Because as you follow Jesus, you start loving like Jesus. And as you love Jesus, you can't help but make a difference and try to be giving to people as you go. And that gives you opportunities to uh, help them, them see his goodness. So how do we do this? How do we actually be people who make disciples? How do we connect people to Jesus? Well, it's going to happen in kind of two levels. Two levels. We work to connect people on two different levels. The first is the church level. Uh, we're going to do things together as a church family to help our community experience the no-strings-attached love of Jesus. Like, I didn't have to do anything for Jesus to love me. He loved me when I was a mess. He came for me when I was a mess, and he did the same for you. And sometimes we're going to hold events in our community that... We don't expect them to give us anything in return. We are just showing the love of Jesus because Jesus loves them and we want them to know about it. And so we're going to do things like the Halloween carnival where we're going to dress, some of you are going to dress up in weird Halloween costumes and you're going to play games with kids so that they can have a good time. And, and just to, again, to simply know that, hey, we're here for you, our church loves you, and we're a place that can help. Um, we're going to do
egg hunts with, with kids. We're going to be a part of Fourth of July celebrations. We're going to pay people's utility bills every now and then. Uh, we're going to provide school supplies. Uh, we're going to do put banners out to invite people to stuff. We're going to have VBS. All of these are just simple ways that we can just let people know we're here and we care. And we're not asking anything of people. We're just showing the love of Jesus. All of those are some of the ways that we can do this together as a church. Um, we'll have friendly greeters at the door in case someone comes. and that, So that their first experience with the family of Jesus is a warm and welcoming one. So they don't just walk in being lost and confused and scared. Um, you can tell, by the way, which restaurants want you to have a certain impression of their restaurant. Like, when I... I I'm... I'm being a stereotype of myself because I love Chick-fil-A. But when I go into the Chick-fil-A drive-thru, it's a great day here at Chick-fil-A. What can I get you today? Oh, it is a great day at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> You're right. How'd you know? It is a great day. When you pull into lots of other restaurants, I get the, yeah. And I'm like, does that mean they want my order? Yeah. Yeah. There's certain ones on, on Wabash and Wabash adjacent that are that way. Um, um, but yeah, but you know, there's a difference. Like somebody taught this, like, hey, we want people to feel a certain way when they pull in our driveway. Like, we want people to feel a certain way. Why? Because we want to show them Jesus. It's a big deal. So this is, these kind of events and practices are hugely important with showing Jesus to others. We want our community as a whole to know, wow, that church is good for us. They're good in our community. They, there's something going on there. But the second level that we do this work on is the personal level. Because even though we can do things as a church, the more impactful way, the more effective way that people are going to come to know Jesus is when you tell them about Jesus. When you as individual Christians do the work of trying to share Jesus with other people. And where there's a, a kind of a disconnect sometimes is because we do this on two levels, some people will say, well, I volunteered at the Halloween thing and I walked in the parade at the, that thing in New Berlin, and I did a part of this. I volunteered at the thing, so I've done my connecting work. I can check it off the list, but that's not the way Jesus says it. In fact, he gives the command to his disciples, to the individual disciples, to go out and make disciples. He told them, hey, you're standing here. You're going to go be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so, yes, we might collectively be doing this as a church, but I'm going to tell you, you will be more effective as an individual Christian at doing these things than any of the events that we're ever going to hold together. You as an individual are called to share your faith and make disciples. And you think, I don't want to do that. I'm guessing, judging by how often Christians tend to share the gospel. The general overview of, of all Christians in America is, I don't want to do that. But we have to do that. We can't see this as an optional thing anymore because Jesus gave us this command to do that. In fact, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That, that's a shorthand of, of his way of saying, I'm in charge of all the things. No, everywhere you could possibly go, I'm the boss. And the first thing he said after that was, so go make disciples. I am the ultimate authority. I am the Lord and King of all things. My first command to you as my follower is then to go and make disciples. Now, this was a better image for them than it is for us. Because in those days and ages, in those day, days and ages, there we go. In that day and age, there we go. That's the one. In that day and age, man, I talk for a living. And one of the, asked, one of the things they, they did was there was kingdoms, like literal kingdoms with kings on thrones. And if a king said, do this, and you were like, nah. He was like, okay, then you don't have a head anymore. 
Like, that was a real thing. Like, they understood kings have authority to tell me what to do. And when they say it, I have no option but to choose life of obedience or death. Now, we're like, any authority can give us a, a rule or a command. And we're like, nope, not going to do that. Could be your boss. Could be a police officer. Could be the president himself. And you'd be like, no, thanks, not doing it. And, you know, and what are they going to do? Most of the time, not a lot. And so this idea of understanding that somebody has the ultimate authority to tell us what to do, it's lost on us. But Jesus says, no, I'm in charge of all things, and I've given you a command. And for whatever reason, we've decided to say, no thanks, Jesus, I'm sure you'll figure it out without us. But that's not what the hope of the church is. This was meant to be people that were the active hands and feet of Jesus, He left and handed us the mission so that we would carry out his work until he returned. And so we like to come up with all kinds of excuses, though, as to why we shouldn't do that. I'm uncomfortable. What if they ask questions I don't know? Um, Or, you know, one of them I I like is I'm not gifted to do that. Because in in the New Testament, it does say that there are some people who are supernaturally gifted to be successful at sharing the gospel. But it doesn't say that those are the only ones commanded to share the gospel. All disciples still are on the hook to do that work. So if you say, I'm not good at it, I'm not gifted, all that, whatever you say, those excuses fall flat in the ears of Jesus. The Bible makes it clear that all disciples are called to make disciples, not just the ones who like it, not just the ones who are comfortable, not just the ones who feel gifted to do so. And so if you call yourself a Christian, that is your job to do as a follower of Jesus, to share him with others, to share the story of what God has done in your life, to tell them why he matters to you, to answer questions if they might have them, and to explain to them why they need Jesus in their lives. And if, and if you say, but that, just the thought of it makes me feel nervous, well, guess what? You're in a group of people, about 60 people, 70 people, who feel exactly the same way as you. This could be Scared to evangelize anonymous, if you want to call it that, because we kind of all are. And there's certain situations that still make me nervous. But again, it's not optional, because he said, all authority is mine, now go. And so we need to go. Now, again, you might feel nervous or ill-equipped to do this, but let me tell you something that I have learned over the 20-plus years of following Jesus. Um, is that if you trust him, if you are obedient and you're willing to follow him outside of your comfort zone, that even if you fail sometimes, he will grow you, he will teach you, he will train you, and he will prepare you to do things that you never imagined you could do. There was no point in life to Jesus where I thought, I'm going to be somebody who stands on a stage and preaches the gospel. I'm going to be the guy who's comfortable to pray in front of people. Never once did I think I would ever have that ability. I just, that wasn't who I was at the time. But as I can slowly, carefully took steps out of my comfort zone, over time, he get, gets me here. And not that I'm, like, changing the world or anything at the moment, but I'm just saying, like, I never thought I'd be here, and yet here I am. And you will do the same as well. If you're obedient, he will lead you to do great things, things you never imagined you'd have the ability to do, all because you were just obedient and faithful. All because you were willing to step outside your comfort zone. Because believe it or not, most of the work that he's called you to is well outside your comfort zone. My comfort zone is about a foot away from my couch at home. It's where I live. It's where I want to be. 
As long as there's like food close enough, a drink close enough, and a remote that I don't have to get up and change the channel. Like that's my ultimate, most comfortable place to be. But there's not, that's not where the work of Jesus is. And so I got to leave that place of comfort for myself. And you do too. And one of the greatest ways that people will come to Christ is through you being obedient and being faithful. It's not going to be through some powerful sermon I preach or through some event we host. The overwhelming majority of people are going to come to Jesus because they had a one-on-one interaction with somebody who cared enough to get outside their comfort zone and share the gospel, with someone who faithfully shared their faith, with somebody who took the time to answer questions. They're gonna, it's going to be from one of you saying, hey, why don't we read through one of the Gospels together, and we'll just talk about it. You can ask all the questions you want, and we'll just, we'll just talk about it. We'll work through it real slow, and you'll kind of see who, what, who Jesus is and what he came to do. It's going to be through things like that. It's going to be through you inviting someone to come with you to church to start checking out Jesus. It's, I mean, I have so much less power in this department than you guys do, because people are real skeptical of ministers these days. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that there's some kind of scandal in a newspaper and on a website just about every single week that everybody turns up about a minister doing something they obviously shouldn't be doing. But people are skeptical of people like me now. It used to be like people respected the minister. I, I kind of missed most of that era of my life. Um, and so that's why just regular, everyday followers of Jesus have more power than you even thought possible. And, you know, the reason why I say that you could make this much of a difference is because when I think back on my journey of faith, and I'll bet if you think back on yours too, I don't remember a sermon changing my life and leading me to Jesus. I remember individual people who prayed with me at camp. I remember um, the people who invited me to certain things and said, hey, why don't you come along and, and kind of helped me find Jesus. Um, and they probably felt really uncomfortable doing that. They probably felt really ill-equipped. I think what's funny is, I was just thinking about this, the people that I thought were like spiritual gurus when I was like in junior high and high school at camp, the people that, that were leading me to Jesus, and I thought, these people are the most holy. They know so much about the Bible. I'll bet they felt like they didn't have I'll bet they felt so incredibly insufficient. But I didn't know. All they did was faithfully said, here's Jesus, and it changed my life. And it was people along the way. A couple of them were ministers, yes, but the overwhelming majority were not. It's true of a lot of you. And I'm so, so grateful to those people doing that for me. And so if you want to live a life on mission, you got to understand the responsibility that Jesus has placed on every disciple to make disciples. And if you're faithful, over time, you will get to be one of those key people in somebody else's story of their journey to faith. And... When they share, man, I came, to, I came to Christ because such and such took a moment. I, I came to Jesus. You know, if it wasn't for Megan or Teresa or, or Bobby or Sue, or who, if it wasn't for them, I would never have been where God has called me and where God has led me. You could be a part of somebody else's story because Jesus has given each one of us the amazing opportunity to connect other people to him and be a part of this beautiful, long legacy of faith that has been moving through history for 2,000 years. He's given you that opportunity, and I really think you to take him up on it. Let's pray. Father, you have done an amazing work throughout history with just regular people. I don't, I don't think the people who have 
changed the world have, have always been um, the leaders, the spiritual leaders, the, the ministers, the people who um, had any sort of a leadership role necessarily, but it's been the just faithful Christians who took their time and energy to share their faith. And those names aren't remembered in the New Testament, most of them. Uh, they aren't remembered in history books. But I think the backbone of the Christian faith surviving for 2,000 years has been believers who understood that they had been empowered and placed by you to make a difference in the lives of those around them. And so I pray that we would understand that we in this room are empowered and placed to make a difference, that you have given us a responsibility, you've given us the work under your ultimate authority to help other people find you. And it's our job to share you with them. Now, they won't all listen to us, they won't all accept but some will. And you've given us the, the joy that we would get to be a part of someone else's story if we can just stop being scared, if we could just stop being selfish and sometimes just lazy or not unwilling to be inconvenienced in a moment. I just, I know, Father, that you can do great things through us if we would just let you, if we would just be obedient and faithful and follow this first and uh, ultimate command that you've given your followers to go and make disciples of all nations. And we start right where we are. So help us, Father, to feel emboldened. Take, the, take some of the fear and lessen it so that when we look at it, we say, yeah, I'm scared, but it's not going to stop me. Yeah, I'm a little nervous about it, but it's not going to stop me because Jesus has called me. He's given me a time and a place to make a difference, an eternal difference, to do something that matters more than anything else I could do with my entire life. So, Father, we thank you for being included in your plan. We all feel unworthy. We all feel insufficient. Um, and that's why when we do things, you get the credit, you get the honor, you get the glory, because in our weakness, your strength shows through. So thank you again for this ultimate call to connect people to you, to help them see the ultimate path of life in Jesus, and to pull people off the wide road and to help them find the narrow road that we've been fortunate enough to find and to be led to. It's in Jesus' beautiful name that we pray. Amen.